0: Matthew 25, we're going to look at verses 31 through 46, and the message is entitled, The Judgment of the Nations. And there are several eschatological judgments that are mentioned to take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ with the church. The judgment of Israel to enter the kingdom, and and that's given in Matthew 25, 1 through 30. Part of it is the uh, parable of of the... Ten virgins. Then there's the judgment of the Gentile nations that we're going to look at, verse 31 to 46. Then you have the judgment of the fallen angels that Jude 6 tells us about. Paul even tells the Corinthians, don't you know we're going to judge angels? And then there's the judgment of the unbeliever, the white throne judgment that we've seen many, many times in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. But God would much rather forgive and restore than to pass judgment on man. Listen to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21. Um, he says, for the Lord Yahweh will rise up at Mount Purism, and he will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act. Here it is, his unusual act. The idea behind that is this strange way to deal with mankind. He doesn't want to judge. He'd rather see repentance and forgiveness. But when that is not taken, all there's left is Judgment. Are we clear on this? Okay? Now, the context of our text is very important. The parable of the ten virgins depicts the regathering of Israel for Jesus to judge the twelve tribes of Israel with his apostles who would sit on twelve thrones with him in order to see who of Israel enters the kingdom of God. Jesus told him that in Matthew 28 28, Matthew 25 verse 13, you have the parable of the virgins. Ezekiel 20 verse 33 to 38 tells you that he will cause them to come under his rod to judge them. Because not all that is Israel is Israel, Paul says in Romans 9, 6, right? So the parable of the ten virgins is unique in Matthew. It's found nowhere else. Why? Because he's speaking to the Jews. They go through tribulation, great tribulation. The wedding took place with the church in heaven. After the bema seat of Christ, Revelation 19, 7 through 9, and 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, we go through the bema seat of Christ. We'll get rewarded for why we did that. We'll show some of that as we go through here. And again, um, not everybody who says they're Israel are true Israel. Romans is very clear that in Romans 9, 6. So now comes the judgment of the Gentile nations, which consists of three movements here. But let, let me read our, our text here of um, the judgment of the nations beginning in verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on the right hand and his goats on the left and then the king will say to those on the right hand come When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was stranger. You did not uh, take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer him um, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them and say, surely I say to you inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these You did it not to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, the judgment of the nation of the Gentiles here consists in three movements. First, we have the description of the judgment in verse 31 to 33. Second, we have the affirmation of the sheep In verse 34 to 40, then you have the condemnation of the goats in 41 to 46. The description of the judgment comes first, 31 to 33. Notice in verse 31, the time of the judgment is clearly stated when the Son of Man comes in his glory. This is the second coming of Jesus to the earth. At the end of the seven-year great tribulation, Matthew 24, verse 4 to 28. Are we clear on this? There is no rapture. In Matthew 24, 25. It's second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming. Be a good spiritual hound. Stay on the trail. Don't go up rabbit trails. Okay? This is the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel 9, 27. Also called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. We've seen this in past studies. Now, the extent or the exact time notice of the judgment is not stated. But the chronological flow seems to present it as the first thing Jesus does as he returns. Daniel gives us a little bit of help as he locates this event, giving us the 75-day interim period for the setting up of the kingdom. You find that in Daniel 12, verse 11 and 12. This very well may be the very place of the judgment of the nations. Because you have to have the judgment of Israel also, and where are you going to put it? It has to be there, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then here comes now the judgment of the nations. The second coming is the theme of Matthew, as you know, in Matthew 24 and 25. The Son of Man comes as lightning from the east, Matthew 24:27. He comes appearing in heaven, coming with the clouds and power and great uh, glory. In Matthew 24, 30, and the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. Not the wedding, the wedding's in heaven. The wedding feast, and the door was shut. Matthew 25, 10. The wise virgins, okay? The wedding takes place in heaven. The honeymoon's here for a thousand years. The wedding feast. Is exactly what the parable of the wise virgins is. Okay, now notice the company coming to the judgment with Jesus is the host of angels, and all the holy angels came with him. The various class, classes of angels, as we we've studied before in the series of angels, the regular angels, principalities, powers, dominions of darkness, Ephesians 1, 20 and twenty one, Ephesians six twelve. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Principalities. We have good angels, bad angels. Third of them fell. Two of them, two-thirds remain faithful to God. There's cherubims, which seem to mean to cover or to guard. And they have two wings and four wings. And um, the first time they appear is in Genesis 3.24, when they're guarding the tree of life. So their very office, the first time they appear, corroborates with the meaning of the word, uh, to guard. And um, they appear also on the mercy seat in Exodus 26.1 of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10 sees them, two wings, four wings, cherubim, okay? Now, there's also seraphim. Seraphim has six wings. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 says that the deer, the, 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 Isaiah died, the Lord was lifted up, and he saw him in the glory in the temple, and he sees there the seraphim. The seraphims are flying overhead. With two wings they fly, two wings they cover their face, and two wings they cover their feet. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, now cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. Seraph is singular, seraphim is plural. Anytime a Hebrew word in the Old Testament ends in I am, it's plural. In the beginning, Elohim, Trinity, plural. What a great place to put the Trinity. First verse of Genesis 1, (laughs) right from the beginning. Interesting. There are also now... Archangels. Now, there is only one archangel. His name an archangel. That's Michael. Jude nine tells us that, and he is called the prince and really the uh, chief of prince, the warrior for Israel. In Daniel ten, thirteen, and twenty one, and twelve one, he will fight for Israel in the last days. So, those are the different categories of angels. Now, angels serve God and believers. Listen to Psalm one hundred three twenty. Bless the Lord, all his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word. Heeding the voice of his word. Now you know that one angel was sent out uh, and killed 185,000 front thousand front-line Assyrian troops in one night. Okay? So they're bad dudes. Um, Yahweh is called the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. We saw this over and over again in the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah has uh, this title, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, 62 times. He has never lost a battle. He doesn't care what kind of weapon you have. He'll crush you. Okay? The Lord, the host, the captain of the armies of heaven. The son of man comes in the glory of his father with his angels. Matthew told us in chapter 16, verse 27, before they went on the Mount of Transfiguration there. Okay? So this is nothing new here that we're getting. John gives witness to the innumerable multitude of angels that God created. In Revelation 5, 11, it says, Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands, myriads of angels. They're in here in this room right now. If God would open our eyes, we'd blow our mind. There's a warfare going on. Good angels, bad angels. Spiritual warfare. Hebrews 1.14 says, And they, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who Will inherit salvation. So their spirit beings sometimes they manifest themselves in physical form. Always masculine, never feminine. Okay, there are no Angelinas. Okay, angels masculine. Look at verse thirty one at the end to thirty three. The position of Jesus is all authority and power for the judgment. The one judging is Jesus. Make no mistake. Then he will sit on the throne of his. Glory. He comes back, and on his robe is written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in Revelation nineteen sixteen. He has just judged the Jews as to who's going to go into the kingdom. As he told his disciples, let me read you Matthew 19, 28. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, and by the way, this is when everybody left Jesus, and they say, Lord, Lord, we left everything. What about us? Hang on. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, the millennial kingdom, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 19:28. Where are you going to put this judgment? If you don't put it there with, with the parable of the virgins. That's Israel get gathered and not everybody who's Israel is going to enter the kingdom and he finds out who is going to enter the kingdom. Real simple. Okay? You have to put it somewhere. It can't fit anywhere else. So the people under judgment now are the Gentiles at this point. The judgment of the nations. All the nations will be gathered before him. And the word nations is ethnos. It's simply ethnic groups. It has nothing to do with your color, your skin. Or you believe it's just ethnic groups. Um, these are the nations on earth during the seven-year tribulation. Very important context. The judgment is, as we will see, regarding how they treated the Jew during the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. Verse 40 and 44 confirms this in many of the passages that we've seen in Matthew 24. Now, the division is into two groups. Notice, he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides a sheep, from the goats, you never keep them together. Sheep are those who belong to God. Goats are those who do not belong to God. As you know, God judged the shepherds of Israel because they didn't feed the sheep of God in Ezekiel thirty-four seventeen. 17. Um, they were really goats. Now, notice the distinction between the two groups is unmistakable. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats... On the left, the right hand is the place of honor, privilege, favor, and blessing. The left hand is the place of dishonor, no privilege, disfavor, and cursing. Jesus said, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. John 5.22 Jesus is king, priest, prophet, and judge. All of them. Now I said that Isaiah says a strange way for God to deal with man by judging him. And it's beautifully illustrated as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. How many times I wanted to gather you as a hand gathered chicks on her wings, but you would not. And he wept over the city in Luke 1941. Jesus did not want to judge his people in the city. He had no choice. Due to the rebellion. Wow. The Bible is very clear that God in history past has judged many nations for their evil and ungodliness. God judged the entire world in the days of Noah, as you know, warning through the preaching of Noah for 120 years. Uh, They did not believe the warning, um, so they perished except for eight people. Genesis 6 and 7. Um, Matthew has used Noah as a warning. In Matthew 24. For the second coming. God judged the Tower of Babel. For their refusal to disperse through the world. Instead they attempted to build Nimrod's religious system in the land of Shinar. Which is Babylon. A city and Tower of Babel. Whose top is in the heavens in order to make a name for themselves. Genesis 11, 2 and 4. The reference is simply to a system of spiritual resources available for the people to have access to God through the corrupt worship of nature, creation, and the Zodiac. Romans 1, 20-32 gives you that commentary. Okay, God has given creation to witness that He created everything and exists. Conscience tells you there's a God. History tells you there's a God. That's general revelation. That's not enough to save you, but it's enough to hold you responsible if there's a God. Special revelation is the gospel. You're a sinner. You're a rebel against God. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to repent, but it's your choice. Wow. Busted. No excuse. God judged the empires of the world that are revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, head of gold, Medo-Persia, arms of silver, Greece, the belly of brass, Rome, the legs of iron. All of them. I love them. Isaiah 40, verse 15. People say this little saying all the time. They don't even know it's biblical. Listen. Isaiah says, Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. A drop in a bucket, insignificant compared to God. And then he said, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. And the thing about the scales, if you know third world countries, you've ever grown up there, stuff like that, you know, when you go to the merchants, they, they, they blow the dust off with their balancing scales to show you they're honest. The nations are as a drop in the bucket like dust on the scale. Insignificant compared to him. Wow. This is the description of the judgment. Second comes the affirmation of the sheep in 34 to 40. In 34, the Lord Jesus will welcome his sheep into the kingdom. The individuals are from the nations Jesus just judged and found them righteous. Are we clear on this? The context of the nations, okay? How they treated the Jew. We're going to see this. Then the king will say to those on the right hand. The word then, again, is a word of time. It appears 18 times up to this point from Matthew 24, 1 to verse 34 or 25. Then, 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 then. gives you a chronological event going on, okay? This is after the separation of the sheep and the goat. The one to speak it's called the King. The title of Jesus, King of the Jews. That's how Matthew presents him. He was denied and rejected at his first coming. He will be acknowledged and accepted at his second coming. The right hand, as we noted, is the place of honor, privilege, favor, and blessing to those who are found faithful to Jesus, to those who are faithful to the Jews during the tribulation period. This is the connection. Jews and Jesus, like peanut butter and jam. Okay? The way it is. The people in the land go together. All right? Now notice the individuals are permitted to enter the kingdom. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. So these are those who are commended by Read the text. God the Father first. God the Father. The word blessed is the word eluhail. It means to speak well of. We get the word "eulogize" When you go to a funeral, you eulogize. You speak well of somebody. More lies are spoken at funerals than any other place. People want to live like a devil and die like a saint. It's amazing. Don't have me do your funeral. I'll tell the truth. These are those who are rewarded to inherit the kingdom prepared for them, notice, from the foundation of the world. The inheritance of living under the rule, the reign and the blessings of his righteousness. They made this decision during difficult times, during the great tribulation. The future blessing was prepared from the foundation of the world. God is all-knowing. And he lives in the eternal present. We are limited to a linear chronological time. Past, present, future. Where did this time come from? From eternity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the end, the new heaven, new earth, time, chronological, linear, goes back into eternity. Full circle. Okay? Notice 35 and 36. The Lord Jesus will give the reason the sheep are allowed to enter the kingdom. They had a loving, compassionate, and merciful uh, attitude to those destitute of the basic needs of these Jews, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was stranger and you took me in. The time was one of severe persecution, as we said, to the Jew under the Antichrist, fleeing for their lives and they are given food and drink by these individuals. They were hiding and afraid to be caught and were given some rest and safety. I can't imagine running from your life knowing that someone's going to kill you. The pressure, especially if you have a wife, a husband, children. That's why Jesus says it would be better to die than to live in those days. They had loving compassion. And mercy to those ill and abandoned. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. They had to leave their homes without anything. Only the clothes on their back. You remember in Matthew 24, he says, if you're on the housetop, don't come down. If you're in the field, don't come back. Flee. And that's over to Petra, Isaiah 16. Daniel 12 tells us also that Moab and Edom, that they will not be given to the Antichrist. The spoiler, okay? Jordan will be the hiding place of the Jew. They were sick, having no food and rest. They were captured and sent to prison. It's going to be the most horrible time. As I said earlier, two of three Jews will die under the hand of the Antichrist, Zechariah says. Horrible time. Look at 37 through 39. Now the sheep will ask Jesus when they did such acts of loving compassion and mercy to him. Now the righteous sheep were oblivious to the significance of their loving compassion and mercy to meet their basic needs. Listen to their words. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? In other words, this was the most loving... Nothing was behind this except love for someone in need. It wasn't, look at me. It wasn't, well, I hope I get rewarded. They're just totally oblivious. Wow. They considered the life of those Jews in need instead of their own lives because they have the edict of the Antichrist. They you know it. They did not consider the consequences to their own lives. Then notice the righteous were also oblivious to the significance of their loving, compassion, and mercy for caring for being naked, ill, in- incarcerated, or naked, clothe you, or when did we see you sick, or in prison, or come to you. It's totally oblivious. They covered the shame of their nakedness, able to sympathize with them. Understanding the humiliation, the shame of an individual. They were sympathetic with their physical weakness and vulnerability. And they were heartbroken seeing them alone and abandoned in prison. Wow. Notice in verse 40, the Lord Jesus will inform the sheep when they did these things to the Jews. During the great tribulation, it was as if they had done it to him. He connects the dots. The words of commendation are declared, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the one speaking again is the king of the Jews, the Messiah. The reliability of the truth of these words are assured by the word assuredly. It's the word amen. When the word amen is put in front of what's going to be said, it says this is important, reliable, trustworthy, you can set your life on it. When it's put at the end of the verse, it's the same word amen, it means so be it. It affirms what is said. That's all it is. So the grammatical structure is very important where it's put. Now the words of compassion for the Jews are given. Listen to them well. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it. To me, underline the least of my brethren. The context demands the Jews to be the proper interpretation, rejecting all others. If you stay true to the context of Matthew 24 and 25, the second coming, and this is the judgment of the nation after Jesus' return, it's the Jew and the Jew alone that is being spoken about. Anything else is subjective and it's wrong. The deeds were not only noted by Jesus, but considered to be done to him. Once again, he connects the dots. Now, the principle of loving compassion and mercy to others can be applied in general principle and application for any labor of love that we may do to somebody now in the church age. But this context is the great after the great tribulation and due to the conduct through the way tribulation. Okay, very important. Now, some people will also take this, you gave me the drink, you visited me, and use it for missionaries, out of context. You can apply it in principle, but not in context. Are we clear on this? All right? Very important. Interesting that this is prophetic, but we've had something like this done in the past. Many righteous Gentiles hid Jews from the Nazis. During the Hitler's demonic plan called the final solution to exterminate every Jew from the face of the earth. And these righteous Gentiles lost their lives. Many of them. In fact, they are there by name in the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Righteous Gentile. It will happen again. These people, sheep and goats, are from the nations during that great tribulation, during the seven years. Okay? Remember the context. The deeds we do as believers are valuable if they are done out of the purest motive, agape love. Anything else is not pure motive. If it's not love for God and love for the person, it's not pure. Absolutely selfish. God will judge everything we have ever done by the motive of our heart First Corinthians 4-5 God's not interested in how much I've done what I've done or, or how I've done He's interested in how I did it and, and why I did it motive is it because I love God and the people of God those are the only motives that will stand in fact those things done out of selfish motives or to be seen are burned up there will be no reward yet Christians can lose all reward and still be saved because we're saved by grace through faith. We go up in the rapture. We go before the beam of seed of Christ. In fact, listen to Paul at the beam of seed of Christ. He says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on is endorsed, he will receive a reward. If anyone's works is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. First Corinthians 3 12 through 15. But let's be clear about this. This is the Bema Seed of Christ when we're raptured, okay? This is not speaking about someone that walks away from the Lord and then he'll just suffer loss. No, no, no. You walk away from the Lord, you will be in hell. Are we clear on this? Okay? So don't let Calvinists twist the scriptures and take it out of context, okay? Give him a nice spiritual tap on the back of the head. Alright? Out of context. Alright? Now, the believers to be salt and light to the callous self serving world. Listen to Paul as he tells Titus, Titus three eight. This is the faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We're different now. I used to steal. I used to lie. Now I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm supposed to be working hard and helping others if I can. Okay? Just that, that simple. Titus 3.14 And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, and that they may not be unfruitful. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says should walk in them. doesn't say we will walk in them. Because he doesn't force you to walk in them. It's your choice. Okay? If it's a choice, and if it's done in love, you get rewarded. If you choose not to do it, then you have nothing to try, right? And if you do it for the wrong reason, it's up in Crispy Critter. It's up in smokes. But you still have a free will. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says... And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. Hmm. The life of of Christ is denying oneself, knowing we have been crucified with Christ. And as we reckon the old man dead, we allow Christ to live through us. Colossians 2.20, 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. Those in the early church did it. Listen carefully. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle. Both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains. He was in prison. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast your confidence which has great reward. Don't cast it away. Hebrews 10 32 and 35. He's writing to those Jews who had come to Christ and now they're returning to animal sacrifice. He says, don't do that. There's no atonement in animal sacrifice anymore. Only in Jesus Christ. Don't forget how much you suffer. Don't forget what God has done through you. Don't go back in the world. Wow. This is the principle of Christian living. Listen carefully to 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love his brethren. Be tender hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. And do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ear is open to their prayers. For the face of the Lord is against those. Who do evil. 1 Peter 3. 8-12. through 12. Wow. This is the affirmation of the sheep. They did this. Under difficult times. At the cost of their life. They aided the Jew. And will aid the Jew. It's still future. We're looking at here as if it's taking place. Now notice early comes the condemnation of the goats. 41 to 46. The Lord Jesus will condemn the goats to Gehenna. The one speaking again is ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. And he will also say to those on the left hand. The word then, here it comes again, chronological time. After commending the righteous now. Now Jesus addresses the unrighteous The contrast throughout the long passage cannot be missed. The left hand, as we have noted, is a place of dishonor, no privilege, disfavor, and cursing. To those who were not faithful to the Jews during the tribulation period, the great tribulation specifically, and to those who therefore were not found faithful to Jesus. And if you weren't faithful to the Jew during the great tribulation, you're not faithful to Jesus. Simple. Now, the book of Revelation tells us once people in the tribulation period take the mark of the beast on the right hand, of the forehead, there's no judgment. You're damned to hell. There's no hope. These have not taken the mark. Jesus is judging to see if they're worthy to enter in. Are we clear on this? Okay. Now, verse 41, the sentence of condemnation is for all eternity. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. The word depart means to leave or to go over from Jesus. That really is a continuation of the decision they had lived by on the earth. To not trust God, not live for God, to believe in God. So really it's just a continuation of who they really are. Okay? This is an imperative command in the present tense in the middle voice. The middle voice means that they, the ghosts are condemned and are to remove themselves away from Jesus. You as a parent know this as your child. You call them accountable for something. And they're not nah, in do that. Go in your room. You want them out of your sight. Right? Because it insults your intelligence. Wow. Everlasting fire speaks and identifies Gehenna, the lake of fire that is in existence right now and has been since the beginning of time. Mark it well. The word everlasting means without beginning or end, never to cease. Eternal fire is called the lake of fire or Gehenna. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Notice, not any person, yet like Lucifer and the third of his angels that rebel with him, Against God, all human rebels against God will also be in the lake of fire, eternal fire for all eternity. Now listen carefully, I see some of your brain smoking. I don't know if I can believe in a God that would do. listen to me, do not take the sting out of hell and Gehenna. This is Jesus, God declaring this. Okay? Do not take the blessing out of heaven and do not take the sting of hell from hell. It's a very strict warning. Look at 42 and 43. The Lord Jesus gives the reason for condemning the goats to Gehenna. They did not have loving compassion and mercy to those destitute of basic needs. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. The time indicated again the severe persecution to the Jews under the Antichrist. They were fleeing for their lives. They did not give them food and drink, so this way they would starve to death. They, knowing they were hiding and afraid to be caught, were refused shelter, clothing, a safe place or hiding. In fact, if they found them, they would have just killed them. Wow. All of this neglect was as if it had been done to Jesus. The pronoun I and me appears Three times each in this text right here. Wow. Notice they did not have loving compassion and mercy to those ill and abandoned also. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. So they had no room in their minds and hearts to relieve their shameful condition being unclothed. Probably mocked, but- they were not inclined to relieve the Jews who were in bad health. I think of the atrocities of the Nazis. You look at some of the documentaries. Animals. Inhumane. Demonic. Absolute demonic. They had no thought of comforting or encouraging the Jews in prison. Torture them. I'm sure. All of this neglect, again was as if it had been done to Jesus. The pronoun me appears two more times. This is Jesus speaking, okay? And he's talking about hell, Gehenna. as the ultimate place, okay? These are not my words. So if you have trouble with this, you're offended at Jesus. Keep that in mind. Notice 44. The Lord Jesus will ask or be asked by the ghosts when they neglected acts of loving, compassion, and mercy to him. The unrighteous revealed their willful ignorance and evil hearts of not being loving, compassionate, and merciful to meet the basic needs. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? They did not consider the life of those Jews in need. They didn't see no connection. They were out for themselves, their own lives. They were actively searching out Jews to kill them in order to carry out the orders of the Antichrist. Notice the unrighteous revealed their lack of loving, compassion, and mercy to care for the Jew who was ill or incarcerated, sick, or in prison did not minister when did we minister to did not minister to you so they did not cover their shame as we said their nakedness unwilling to empathize with the persecuted jew yet we're unwilling to sympathize with their physical weakness and vulnerability we all know what it is to be deathly sick and you're trying to flee for your life trying to protect your family the horror of all horrors. They were unwilling to be heartbroken, seeing them alone as abandoned and imprisoned, just called hard-hearted. They failed to see or believe the connection between the Jews and Jesus. The word minister, Diaconio, means to serve or to be a servant literally a waiter on tables it's used for a minister when i receive mail here and it says reverend xavier reese i know they don't know me because no man is to be called reverend that belongs to god pastors are glorified waiter boys that's what we are nothing else we're here to serve god and you not here for you to give us money we're not here for you to celebrate us every birthday we're not here for you to compliment us we're here to serve you and to serve the lord that's what we're here for. That's what a pastor is. Okay? When they did not serve the Lord, it was because they weren't being servants to the Jew. And when they, were, when they weren't serving the Jew, they weren't serving the Lord. Busted. Wow. Look at 45. The Lord Jesus will inform the goats When they did not do these deeds of loving compassion and mercy to him. So he responds to them. In 45, the words of condemnation are declared. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, once again, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jews, Messiah speaking, reliability, assuredly, reliable, important, pay attention. The words of accusation against the Jews, listen to them carefully. This is Jesus speaking. Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. This is not missionary stuff. This is the Jew in the Great Tribulation. Context, context, context. The context demands the Jews to be the proper interpretation of the least of these, rejecting all other interpretations. The lack of deeds are sins of omission, not sins of commission during the Great Tribulation. There's are sins that you and I commit, sins of omission, when we're to do good and we don't do it. We know to do good, we do it not, that's sin to you and me. Are we clear on that? And then there's other sins that we commit. Those are equal sins, okay? They neglect, here the Jew, was a neglect of Jesus. Considering as if it was done to him. So now, the principle in itself of unloving, uncompassionate, and unmercifulness can be applied in general principle, as we said before, as Christians to anything we do. But the context here is the Jew during the Great Tribulation. Okay? Very important. And I'm being very purposeful in my repetitious uh, words because there are so many crazy interpretations about this text, these two chapters. Look at 46. We get the summary statement declared by Jesus regarding two roles and destinies. Don't miss them. The destiny of the goats or unrighteous is, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. The phrase everlasting punishment indicates the consequence and penalty regarding their decision to live against Jesus. And we'll see on the flip side the believers who do. This is the ones who don't. They don't believe. The word for punishment is the word colossus. Also translated torment. You remember right a Magic Mountain called Colossus? Ah! Torment. As you go down that sucker. Plunging. That's the word. This is Gehenna that he's talking about. Don't 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 make it nice. Don't don't take this thing out. This is a warning. This punishment is eternal. People after they die do not cease to exist. Call annihilation. Listen, if we just annihilate, let's go party. Like the Epicureans. No way. Those who die without the Lord are instantly present in Hades, in torments. Luke 16, 28 says that. Let me give you a better one. Revelation 14, 10 through 11. Listen carefully. These are the words of Jesus given to John. He says, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. Uh, full strength into the cup of his indignation he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of listen the holy angels in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name listen jesus runs hell not satan change your theology Wow, it's a place of punishment, not reward. Notice the sentence or verdict of punishment is at the white throne judgment after the kingdom age. Revelation 20, 11 and 13. We find that. In verse 11 it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. So the white throne is for every non-believer who has never Believed in Christ and rejected the gospel from the beginning of times. Then it says, "And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book." Verse twelve of Revelation twenty. Okay, very clear. Jesus is Jewish. He keeps good books. Okay. Verse thirteen of Revelation twenty. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So you, you have hell and death itself being cast into the lake of fire. The destiny of the sheep now on the flip side, or the righteous, is that the righteous unto eternal life. Now this is the choice that every person has as they hear the gospel. Do you want to be forgiven, repent of your sins, and go to heaven? Or do you want to reject the offer of salvation and forgiveness and end up in Gehenna, the lake of fire? It's a choice. It's not a trick question. It's not difficult. It's A or B. The believer unto eternal life. The minute a Christian dies, they are instantly present before the Lord. Second Corinthians 5. One through eight, you're never found naked. He says it twice. The minute you die, your body goes to the grave. Your body's not glorified until the rapture when we're caught up with them. The bodies in the grave, but the minute you die, you're instantly present. And then our loved ones come down to the earth to meet us. And then we are raptured, being glorified up, and we're caught up with the bodies. And then you receive your glorified body if you die before the rapture. Okay, real simple. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, and then cross reference that with 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. Paul said this, For to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Philippians 1, 21. If I die right now, I gain. I'm before the Lord. I'm not waiting to pick up a number that says 1 trillion, 200 billion, 100 million, 1. Get in line. No, not at all. The phrase eternal life has two meanings. You know that. The first is always godlike life quality you have eternal life that means your life should be a godly life second it never ends are we clear every time it's used in the bible first it's godly life then it's eternal okay daniel law could very well be describing the judgment of the nations in daniel 12 11 through 12 which illustrates our point listen carefully and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, the middle of the tribulation, abomination, desolation, Matthew twenty-four, fifteen, There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Why? Because that's the judgment of the nations to find out who's going to enter the kingdom and who's not. Wow. Every person... Is given a set amount of time to live on earth carefully and thoughtfully, ladies and gentlemen. If you're young, think twice before you do something stupid. If you're old, think ten times. You don't have much time left. (laughs) Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Every person after death will be judged by God without exception. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. No one gets past. Those who have repented and lived for Christ, their names are written in the book of life. And they will live forever with Jesus. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are. So Satan's been bound for a thousand years, the the millennium. Then he's cast in the lake of fire where the false prophet antichrist have been for a thousand years already. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't touch that. Leave it alone. Revelation 20 verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life are cast in the lake of fire. You're not a Christian. You die without repenting. You will end up there. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 8, or uh, 20, verse 14 first. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So at the end, everything, death and Hades itself, is cast in the lake of fire. In the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, there will be no sin or sinners. Listen, but the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, Revelation 21, verse 8. Jesus used the Valley of Hinnom, the trash heap of Jerusalem, which was the place, you have the Valley of Hinnom way down here at the corner of the old city of David, Um, And there they would offer their children to God Molech on their burning arms Children they didn't want because the religions were sexual And therefore they had unwanted children Well that's the illustration where the worm never dies The fire is never quenched And gnashing of teeth and there's darkness Try to figure that out That's used as a picture of Gehenna The lake of fire The real place The majority of people are going to spend their lives there For all eternity Listen to me carefully. The majority is always wrong. The entire world perished except for eight people. Three million people came out of Exodus. Only two over the age of 20 entered the promised land. Are we clear on this? The majority is always wrong. The majority is always wrong in the church. The the Christian seminaries, colleges, churches today, they're out to lunch. You better search out a church that's going to teach you the word of God and not deceive you. All right? Don't look to me. You look to God, to his word. But when someone speaks, you better open up that Bible. You better study it. You better check it out. And if you have questions, you ask them. If they don't want to answer them, go find another church. It's real simple. Okay? We're talking about eternity. We're not talking about going on vacation. We're talking about eternity, not eternity. Losing a house or a car. We're talking about spending eternity in heaven or in hell. Wow. This is the condemnation of the goats. And so, we have looked at the judgment of the nations, the Gentile nations, and these three movements, the description of the judgment, the affirmation of the sheep, and the condemnation of the goats. It's laid out. One, two, three. God is so good. He's given us so much information. So much to know. Why? To warn others. And to know what God has revealed as very important for your life. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We lift our hearts to you. We pray you would deal with us. And Lord, those who are on the radio, somewhere in the world, Lord, that don't know you, that they would call on your name. And Lord, ask you to forgive them, that you would save them. And if you're out there somewhere in the world, and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God wants to save you right now. Maybe over the internet or maybe here. A prayer of repentance is what you need to ask in him. If you believe that he died for you, rose from the dead, and able to forgive you, this is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.